When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels. And if you caught last week's podcast between Sage and I, we talked a lot about John D. Filippo and his future and the Vikings need to turn around the offense or he might be in trouble. And lo and behold, Sage, John D. Filippo relieved of his duties on Tuesday after a disastrous performance in Seattle. What was your instant reaction to the Vikings firing Filippo and handing the play calling over to Kevin Stefanski? Well, let me say this. I think you and I for weeks, and you could probably say months, have been slowly brewing uh, this you know, maybe story or, or we're sensing this was going to happen, and, and the fire has sort of increased over the course of the last couple of weeks. And was definitely at our highest level a week ago. So for us, this is sort of a long time uh, in the making. And, uh, you know, doesn't mean we knew uh, in, you know, late September, early October, but things didn't feel right. Uh, things that I was seeing, uh, whispers that I was hearing, things that you were seeing. We're looking at some statistics uh, about when they run the ball, when they throw the ball. You know, yada, yada, and it just did, did not seem like a winning formula of football the way this offense was rolling. And after two really pathetic performances, and yes, against good teams, good defenses, whatever, uh, a team with this much supposed talent around this much money at the X receiver, this much money at the Z receiver, this much money at the tight end receiver, extremely explosive young running back with a second round pick, there should be more production from this offense and an offensive coordinator his job is to produce and sometimes with the talent you have you only can produce 17 18 points a game and that's all you can do and then sometimes you got a lot of talent and and you should be able to produce 28 27 points a game but if you're only getting 12 we've got an issue and that's basically where this offense was so I, I've got a bunch of ideas that I wrote of things that they had success with but didn't stick with. So I want to go over those with you. But if you were to pick out the one reason 
why John Filippo did not work out, what would that be? I think the inability to run the football, and as far as the the word inability, I don't know if they have an inability to run the football. You know, there is so much that goes into designing pass plays. There's actually a lot that goes into to designing running plays. Good old line coaching makes a huge difference. You know, Dante Scarnecchia, I brought his name up on on this podcast. Uh, he's a this legendary, I think, like a Hall of Fame O line coach for the Patriots. And they've gone through a lineman there uh, in, in, in New England left and right. They've had undrafted rookies starting at center. You know, they, I don't even know who their O-linemen are anymore. Uh, but somehow they run the football, in particular in goal line, short yard situations. Somehow they protect Tom Brady all these years. It's, a lot of it is great coaching. And so there's a lot that goes into it. How to, how to design runs, how to execute those runs, when to call them versus what fronts you're going to see you know, audibles versus certain looks, all these things to give yourself a chance to run the football. The Vikings have not done that. Uh, they have not called a lot of run plays. Uh, they don't design interesting run plays. They don't really give their guys a chance. It's always really easy to say the O-line stinks. It's the easy way to do it. But I don't think uh, – I think they can be made better than they are, if that makes any sense, right? It, it, can, a, can, a, can a good coach put five guys together and have them work together and be more productive than they actually are individually. I believe you can, and we're not even getting close to that type of production. So I, I agree with your point there. I mean, when you're averaging 4.1 yards a carry, which puts you 23rd in the league, it's not even just not calling enough run plays, but also not succeeding when you do run with plenty of talent in the backfield. And even though they don't have a great offensive line, they have decent tackles and a center who's very athletic. It's just too many runs went for zero yards up the middle behind Tom Compton, which just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. And you saw that against Seattle. I I, I wonder about this, uh, Sage, because I got phone calls on our Purple Live show about Max. By the way, real quick. By sure. the way, real quick. Speaking of Tom Compton, uh, or whoever they have at the guard situations or center or whoever we think is not good enough, there was a guy in the draft named, Will Hernandez. That's the guy. Big guy for the Giants. The Giants picked. Uh, the, the Vikings could have got him at end of the uh, first round. I believe the Giants picked him up early second round. And he has made a difference. He's a big sort of you know, uh, bruiser, you know, probably 340 pounds. And uh, they're running the football. Now they got Saquon Barkley, uh, but they're running the football up there. and They're playing better football this season has gone on. Uh, you know, would that have been a guy that could have been very beneficial? Uh, instead, they picked a corner, in which now we have, you know, three first-round corners on this football team, and now that guy is injured. So, you know, is that a mistake that, again, isn't? it's not just the line. It, it, this podcast is going to be sort of who's at fault here. Line, quarterback, coordinator, general manager, head coach, you know, all the sort of the areas at fault with, uh, which is now a uh, you know less than one season firing of an offensive coordinator. Well, and on draft night, I remember thinking that not drafting Will Hernandez or James Daniels with that pick meant uh, it better work out. All the ideas that you have for this offensive line, moving Mike Remmers to guard and and so forth, it better work, or you're going to be under the spotlight and you're going to potentially ruin your season because of it. And uh, in a lot of ways, that's what's happened. I, I do want to get to Cousins and his role. By the way, in and, we, and we should we should not forget, and we first should not forget the, the passing 
of Tony Sperano. Yeah. And, you know, a year ago, this team was second in runs called and seventh in rushing or something like that in the league last year. Uh, and then this year, they're the other end of the spectrum. Uh, he, too, uh, his passing right before the season started, you know, may have had to play a role in this, you know, this lack of production. And, and uh, you know, I, I always heard Tony was really good at designing plays. He had a very creative mind, had a lot of good ideas, and some of them uh, were really good ideas. That's, I mean, Kevin Stefanski told me last year he's a good sort of designer of unusual runs and, and ways to get production. And uh, And I think this team misses him. Well, and I was just looking at some of that last night, actually going back through some 2017 and even just how they used C.J. Ham, who I feel like has been underutilized, the fullback position this year. And, and sometimes if you can use it successfully, we saw this from the Patriots, that it's a weird little advantage because teams are using so much nickel and not using or putting much emphasis on having three linebackers in there to stuff your runs. So if you can use your fullback successfully like they did last year, you can uh, you can get some gains there that they just haven't done this year. Um, so, so by the way, it leads us to a bigger point. I was asked this last night on a radio show. I, I believe it was uh, maybe it was Mackie and Judd or something. I can't remember. I did, I did about three or four of them yesterday after this news hit. Uh, they asked me, what would I do different? If I'm Kevin Stefanski, what I do? And I said, who's the fullback? <laughs> yes, CJ I go, he'd be getting a lot more action in the game, and he better strap it up. And, and his, his um, snaps have basically been cut in half this year, by the way. Okay. From last and, year. Um, and I don't even know if he's a great blocker, but, you know, he, I'm sure he's pretty dang good. Uh, he's going to play, and we're going we're gonna to go downhill, and we're going to go downhill play action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're going to have eight guys blocking and two really good receivers out there. We're going to go regular personnel because we do have two receivers. We're not going to go through our receiver sets because the third guy's you know, uh, a guy that so you can't rely on that superstar, the third guy. We don't have a great second tight end right now. We're going to go regular personnel. We're going to go run and play action and bootleg. And I'm, we're going to design some stuff to give our guys a, a chance. And, uh, and three yards here, four yards here, you know, third ones. We're going to go two tight ends, two running backs, and one receiver. And we're going to come downhill at you. Good football teams get those first downs. The Patriots are doing it now. Go back. Go watch those Patriots games out there. They have changed their offense. Their fullback is in the game a ton. Brady's doing a ton of hand the ball off in weak side zone with the fullback lead mm-hmm. uh, and play action off of that. You know, uh, it's almost like one step ahead of the RPO world. You know, they're, as everyone, you know, goes smaller linebackers and safeties because you got to cover all this space. Now we're going to go downhill at you because everyone weighs 235 yeah, in your right, linebacker right. core, you know, and we're just going to beat you up and grind out wins. The Seattle Seahawks did to the Vikings the other night. Yeah, there are no uh, LeVon Kirkland linebackers anymore. Remember him? So, I do. 280-pound linebacker probably would be a nose tackle today. Um, Number but, 99 for the Steelers, I believe. That's right. He was a monster, and I was watching one of their games uh, in the 97 playoffs, and it was like, yeah, you're not going to see a linebacker that big ever again. That's for sure. Uh, but to, to your point, I mean, that's where you can gain an advantage, and the Vikings did last year by using Ham. The other thing is not having David Morgan. They've tried to stuff Tyler Conklin into that role, and it's very clear he can't handle it because he's not a very good blocker. And, I mean, he has a key drop the other night, too. Uh, my idea is to use C.J. Ham even uh, at the line of scrimmage in tight end spots as a blocker when you when you need him to do that. So um, let me let me get to Cousins with you though, Sage, because 
I mean, that's been a big part of this conversation is just how much goes on Cousins and should there now be second guessing of the decision since the record, uh, they haven't beaten any winning teams. It would probably be the same with almost anybody else. And Cousins the other night, there were open receivers. There was the bizarre throw backwards to Latavius Murray. There's the fact that he's taken a lot of sacks and that he brings a lot of that pressure on himself or can't react to it. So how do we sort of balance the, yes, Filippo made a lot of mistakes with, but also the quarterback, if he had executed some of those plays, you know, could have put on a better performance and maybe won some more games this year? Well, it's it's the coordinator's job to get the quarterback and demand that the quarterback, uh, you know, basically go through his reads correctly and follows the plan. And, and uh, you got to give him the best opportunity possible. Yeah, there is issues with this quarterback. All right. He's probably not as good as what a lot of people thought. Um, Rick Spielman thought he does have major limitations. He does have, uh, he doesn't check all the boxes of, of what you're looking for. Uh, he's expensive. Um, but at the end of the day, Rick, tr- Rick decided to go out there. And you, I, you would probably think most NFL teams would do this. Uh, I, I think most NFL teams, GMs would have done something very similar or the same thing in Rick's shoes in that situation last year. Mm-hmm. Listen, we're going to, we want to get a new quarterback. We could do case, but if we can find somebody better, we're going to go out and get somebody better. And they thought Kirk Cousins was better. And I think most people probably thought that a year ago. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to see what that, what, uh, you know, GMs would have said at the time. I'm sure they all would have said something different now, but. I'd like to know what people thought a year ago. So you sort of can't be too upset at the GM for sort of trying to put his best foot forward. He put his, you know, he he, he went out and the owners are willing to spend the money to basically get the best pay, player available because they're hoping he'd take us to the next level. And that didn't, uh, and that didn't work out. So either way, it's sort of water under the bridge unless you want to fire Spielman, which is, is, if people want to get to happen, that's fine. But he's this guy's going to be here for the next two years. Who can maximize his positives and minimize his negatives? Well, that's my question, Min- right? I mean, minimize, what, what do they need to minimize, do to do that? Well, you minimize his negatives by minimizing the, opportun- the, the opportunities for those negative types of plays for the him, for that happened to him. Mm-hmm. You know, the throw behind that happened, that was in the pocket. Uh, the sack fumble, that was in the pocket. He's trying to get out of the pocket. But bad things generally don't happen to him on bootleg-type plays. Right. Bad things generally don't happen to him when they call good play-action plays. Bad things never happen to him when he hands the ball off. Right. All right? Bad things usually actually don't happen to him if you go in empty and you can get somebody open. I mean, they're going empty the other night, and he's holding on to the ball. Like, there should be, you know, guys should be able to get get open in empty formation. You shouldn't have to hold on to the football. And uh, he holds on to the football way too much. And it's to me, that's where the designer of plays comes in. So you got to – a good creator knows how to minimize those those negatives. And as I always say, you, you look at a game, let's just say it's, it's 30 pass plays. Um, I think you want to have, you know, 10 movement, play action, you know, bootleg, sprint out, play action, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, it's a lot of three-step drop type of stuff, wide receiver screens. We talked about screens on this show for a month. Yeah, we did. 
who <laughs> talked about screens on this show for a month. And then, and then you go to five-step drops or seven-step drops, dropping back in the pocket, and you had to read things out. I keep those down to like seven a game, if you can. I'd love to call none. I'd love to call none of those plays because that's when bad things happen to this team. So is there a way, something I've noticed is that Case Keenum, one thing that was admirable about him, other than the pocket presence or his ability to just take off and run or make something happen, was that if somebody was covered, he wasn't afraid to throw it in their direction. And that, and that's where with Cousins, I wonder if even though Thielen and Diggs have tons of catches already this year, if there have been opportunities over the last few weeks to throw it to them when they're covered. I was watching a Bill Belichick breakdown of a Rob Gronkowski touchdown in which Tom Brady saw there was double coverage on Gronkowski and said, I don't care. I'm going to throw it in a place where he can get it. And Cousins has the arm strength. He has the accuracy to make those throws. But after the game the other night, he said, when they're doubled, I'm just not going to throw it in their direction. And that to me is, I don't know what you do with that fundamentally. Like, do you just tell Cousins, hey, throw it when they're doubled. It's fine. Or, or like, do you take more shot plays down the field at times or, or what, I mean, what can you do there? Cause I feel like this has always been a Kirk Cousins issue with if the guy's not wide open and if it's not the exact first read or, or right read for him, he will hold onto the ball too long. And you and I were talking before we recorded about sacks and how they have just been drive killers for this team. Yeah, and, and uh, sacks do, they, they kill a drive where it's third down, first down, or second down. And, you know, getting behind the sticks, as they say, first and, and 17, or I'm sorry, second and 17, third and 12. Those are just bad places to be in in the NFL. And because defenses are so much better than they are in, say, college football or high school football, uh, they're so much smarter. The pass rush is so good. It's just hard to hold on to the football long enough to get the ball 15 yards down the field into a small spot where there's not a defender. And so you got to stay out of those situations. You got to be second and eight or second and five or whatever. Uh, you can't be in third and long situations. It's pretty much a drive killer. And that's where it comes down to being a high execute oriented offense. You got to execute. Uh, the plays that you have at extremely high level. You just can't have these negative plays, whether it's a penalty uh, or a sack. Kirk Cousins gets sacked a lot. And um, what we were talking about off the air is that, you know, somehow, and looking back at my career, I remember seeing a stat where I was not sacked very much. Uh, it was sort of probably a skill that I had. I got rid of that football. I was, it was a hot potato to me. I wanted to get, get it out as quickly as possible. I know it wasn't going to do any good in my hands. We were not going to get the ball down the field very fast if I held on the ball for an extra two seconds. And uh, it would get the ball out, and, and my sack percentage was really low. That probably allowed me uh, to, you know, sort of give my team a chance and, and stay in third and short situations, uh, which we could run or pass. And a lot of times you get man-to-man coverage, and Andre Johnson could win on the outside and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, when, when teams can play zone in third and longer situations, uh, it's advantage defense. And, and the Vikings, uh, that's where bad things happen to the Vikings. So to the to the other part of that, and by the way, the stat, I ran the stats on you getting rid of the ball, and it was 15 sacks on 414 pass attempts, which is pretty darn good in terms of uh, avoiding negative plays for you. And you went 6-4 and four in that stretch. So uh, how about that when you were with uh, the Texans? But the, the idea of getting Cousins to be... By, by, by the way, by the way, real quick, 
Um, I always I use the the Shanahan McVay conversation a lot of times on this on this podcast and on my shows because I feel like Kyle and Kyle was young. It's the first time he was a coordinator. He sort of got the most out of me. You know, he allowed me to to play fairly efficiently and mm-hmm. sort of maximize whoever I was as a quarterback. Look what he's doing with Nick Mullins out there. Yeah. Who the heck is Nick Mullins? You know, he's got, what does he got? Is he three and two as a starter or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. He's played um, pretty well. He's do, playing pretty well. And, you know, just had a tight end who also, by the way, wasn't some first round draft pick, uh, who just had 210 yards and a half the other day. That's a type of coordinator who can maximize the talents of the guys around him. And, uh, and I don't believe this offense corner, John D. Flippo, was doing that. So you averaged, by the way, a solid seven and a half yards per attempt in that 10 year span where you're, or in the uh, two year span where you had 10 starts. Pretty good. I, I remember walking into Mike McDaniel's office. Uh, and Mike McDaniel's, I believe, is like the run game coordinator for the 49ers, uh, one of the assistant coaches. And he's, and at the time he was quality control. So he was sort of the, you know, he was doing a lot of the, the rat work and the stats and the drawing up of the plays and all that type of stuff. And our season the year before, I believe in 2017 on bootleg plays, uh, or I think on bootleg plays or play action, maybe it was just bootleg plays. We averaged 11 yards in attempts mm-hmm. and 19 yards of completion. 2007, you mean? 2007. Yes. 2007. Uh, just crazy numbers. And, you know, you get good, good at that bootleg game. You, quarterbacks don't throw nearly as any exceptions in those situations. You don't get sacked. Sometimes you can run. And, uh, and sometimes you can, if you have time, you can double move safeties down the field. And then again, then again, you know, give it up, throw it up in the air and give your guy a chance on the safety one on one in double coverage, you know. Um, I, there is a type of offense that, that is that way. John D. Flippo did not run that offense. And I don't believe he was running the Frank Reich, Doug Peterson offense either. Because early in this year, I did not see, yeah, yeah, this looks like the Eagles Super Bowl mm-hmm. team from last year. Did not look like that to me. Uh, and so that sort of gave me concern almost right off the bat. So, and to your point about using the, uh, the space for the tight end, I've got a stat that George Kittle is averaging 10.2 yards after catch, which is uh, uh, the the best since like 2006 that he's gotten all these big plays, yards after catch. And he is quick, but uh, I think that's probably a lot more scheme than anything. And, and there's where, you know, Kyle Rudolph's under usage in this offense, I, I think has been a big deal. But let me just let me just get your response, though, to the to the Cousins thing about I, I know that we want to mitigate some of his issues. But at the same time, you also want to see him use the arm that God has blessed him with, which is a really good one. And, you know, when he throws that shot play to Stefan Diggs the other night and Diggs has to go up and get it and make a great catch. My thought was, where has that been? Because he's good at that contested catches. Thielen's great at it. You throw anything his way, he's going to catch it. And it, Kyle, Kyle it, Rudolph's good at it. That's right. And it, and it just, you know, it's been here or there, which is, it kind of defines this offense. But I think I'd like to see Kirk Cousins throw it when guys are covered because these receivers can catch it. Yeah. And, um, well, either way, uh, we'll see what Kevin Stefanski does. You know, we haven't blamed Kevin Stefanski yet. No, you know, we, we haven't. We've got we a week to do the that. coordinator, the quarterback, and the GM got a little bit. Zimmer, whatever his role in the whole thing. 
which by the way, I think people who are talking about possibly firing him are insane. All right. He's good at what his specialty is. And that's, and that's great. All right. The defense, if the defense sucks, I'd be concerned. All right. But he's good at what the, the team specialty is defense. And he is good. At, he's a good defense coordinator. I promise you. And uh, I think to fire him is crazy. Does he deserve criticism? Yeah. Every head coach deserves criticism. Belichick deserved to be criticized for having Gronk in the game last week. Um, so, uh, Kevin Stefanski is going to get a chance here. And uh, we'll see if he changes. He's not going to change the offense per se and the language and those things. But, you know, can he be more creative? Uh, is he going to go with C.J. Ham more? Uh, is he going to heed our advice? Um, is he going to just call more runs? Um, you know, what are they going to do these last three weeks? This is a job opportunity for him. He's been waiting for going back to being Brad Childress's, you know, sort of do boy. Uh, to be in a slow level assistant, to working his way up through tight ends and, and, and running backs and quarterbacks. And now he's a coordinator, which they interviewed him last year. So he's got three games here to see if, you know, probably he can one, turn the season around and possibly still get the Vikings in the playoff, which I think if they go three, no, they're in the playoff. Uh, and two, um, you know, it, will he do enough to get a job interview or win this job for next year? I yeah, should say, yeah, or at the least get an interview. So this is an interesting, you know, point here uh, with the Vikings and Kirk Cousins is what he is. How do you minimize his mistakes? Um, you know, how do you maximize his positives? Uh, is how is Kevin Stefanski going to do that? I'm I'm really interested to to know what he's going to do and, and you know, almost be a be a I'm interested to be what uh, know what a uh, be a fly on the wall in an offensive staff room. So now you uh, you know Kevin though, right? So what what can you tell us about him? Because I I've talked to him a handful of times throughout the last three years, but as far as I mean, I know he's a really smart football guy, as someone would be to stick around for this long on a team as a position coach. But what what do you know about him that uh, would make you think he could be successful at this role? Because I've said multiple times, I thought. He should have been the guy to get the job and just carry on what Pat Shermer had started. So a couple of things here. One, um, one, I think the thing with, with the thing with Kevin is he's been in one place, but he's been through multiple offenses. Mm -hmm. All right. So he has been to multiple offenses. He's seen a lot of things, uh, you know, from, from going back to Daryl Bevel uh, to just, you know, it's, it, including Pat Shermer within that mix. Right. Um, and so he's seen a lot of things, seen a lot of ideas. You know, now he gets to put those ideas together and see if he can come up with concepts that maybe, maybe brought up before that were shot down. Uh, maybe they brought before that they just never called. Uh, or maybe he just never brought them up before because he didn't feel like it was his place to design plays. I don't know, but he's got, he needs to design some things that are different, um, that are, are more effective. Uh, he only also, he's only working with, with what he has. So he's working with the offensive line that has its weaknesses. Um, he's not all of a sudden going to make the offensive line play better by making them have better technique and those things. That's, he can't do everything. That's what the old line coach's job is to do. Um, so he has to figure out what he's working with and how it's going to help them win football games. What am I working with? How can I maximize and minimize? Uh, and how is that going to win us football games? And, I think going into this next game and trying to win it 17 to 13 is not a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. 
and grinding it out and sticking to the short passing game, sticking to running the football, and then throwing a screen on third and eight. Can we do a three on third and eight maybe? You know, like, right. well, anyway, all those things that we've been, you know, sort of bitching and moaning about for the last year. Uh, can you do those things and be effective? And, you know, will it take this team into the playoffs? It, 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 this had to happen. It's happened before. Uh, people have gotten fired during the season. The people fired coordinators during the season. The, the Baltimore Ravens did it not that long ago, uh, and they won the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, is he going to have that type of effect? I don't know, but you know, I, I'm really looking forward to the watch the next three weeks. So Miami is uh, 22nd in points and 29th in yards on offense and 26th in points and 29th in yards on defense. So this, even though they have a 7-6 and six record, this should be an opportunity for the Vikings to do some things uh, on Sunday and win a game against the Dolphins that they really, really should win. And against a team that's allowed the 29th most yards, Stefanski has a good situation to start off against them. And uh, Sage, and they're playing, and they're playing a team at home, of which they don't play very often. Which I gotta think the defense, uh, you know, they're not going to be greatly prepared for the different things the Vikings do on defense that seem to affect teams, even guys like Aaron Rodgers. So it's not a team they see all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, let's see if the uh, you know, lean on your defense. You know, going to games sometimes. Um, I remember I was a starter and, and during that time in Houston, we're playing some, I feel like it was Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay was like 27th in the league in offense. They had a good defense. They, they still had some great defensive players on that team. John Lynch was playing, uh, you know, Derek Brooks was playing. They still had a whole bunch of great defensive players and Rondé Barber. And I just said, you know what? I'm not going to be aggressive here. Yeah. I am going to slow play this thing. I am not going to take chances. I'm going to slow play this thing. And sure enough, like second quarter, we get an interception. Uh, I think we end up getting a short field. We score a touchdown. I think opening kickoff of the third quarter, we return a kickoff for a touchdown. Sort of let my team win the football game uh, and, and rather than going out and losing it. And it was the first time I'd sort of thought about that. Like, what's my strategy going into this game? Uh, and, and not just try to, you know, get every first down and score as many points as possible. And I think many times they won games exactly like that last year. They used a ton of clock, which is something they have not done, uh, at all this year. I feel like last year they were consistently winning that possession battle and letting their defense get a, get a rest. But, uh, the other night against Seattle, the defense was out there. It seemed like the whole game. So I feel like the worst thing we could have, that could have done, the, the worst thing that happened to the Vikings this year was Adam Thielen breaking that record. <laughs> Yeah, right, right, <laughs> you know? right. Because it, yeah, it's 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 almost like they felt like they needed to have that be their entire offense, but then defenses made their adjustments as they've gone along too. And I'm not sure that Thielen is 100 percent healthy right now either. Um, By the way, have you? How many times this year have we seen somebody like basically just wide open, like wide open for a 50, 60 yard touchdown pass? They double moved somebody. Uh, they ran some sort of you know neat sort of trick play. And, you know, somebody's wide open. Not many. Not as many as you see in, in a lot of the better offenses. That's for sure. Right. Not as many as you see in a lot of offenses. Not as many as you saw uh, when the Rams played the Vikings and guys were like, oh, man, he's wide open. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And- Teams. That's a coordinator. And- that's a coordinator. If you can get guys. We used to get Andre Johnson wide open and everybody knew we were trying to get him the ball. And that's the thing and about blaming, way to get him open. Uh, blaming the offensive line all the time. For There are some people who, no matter what you say, it's just, but what about the offensive line? But what about the offensive Like, I understand it's not great, but both tackles have performed okay enough 
to give Kirk Cousins some time on certain plays to find someone open, but they have rarely been super duper open. And uh, that I think that that did happen quite a few times last year as well. And maybe we'll see it down the stretch. Um, journeyman quarterback of the week for Dolphins. Another great team for this, including you were a journeyman quarterback for the Dolphins. So let me leave this to you. Who do you want to talk about here? Show some respect. Salute. I've traveled every road in this It's time for Matthew and Sage to honor one of the NFL's great journeyman quarterbacks. I want to talk about Dave Dickinson. Who is Dave Dickinson? Dave Dickinson was a quarterback at the University of Montana. Uh, I believe he won a national championship. He was playing in Canada, and we signed him. Uh, I believe he was like the Canadian MVP. Um, might be Dave Dixon. I think it's Dave Dickinson. Is how you say his last name. Uh, he's actually currently the head coach of a Canadian football team. Okay, so he is with the, the Calgary Stampeders. It is Dickinson, All right. by the way. There you go. Um, and so, so his season had ended. Uh, uh, the Canadian season, and we signed him about the last, you know, uh, I, I, six weeks of the season or something like that. He was small. He didn't have much. Of an, he was sort of like a Jason Garrett, sort of, the, sort of the type of quarterback he was. Didn't have a big arm, small. He was hilarious. <laughs> you know, he just was like, this guy had been his whole life with Montana and Canada. Uh-huh. You know, he had married a Canadian girl. Uh, you know, he loved it up there in, you know, I was Edmonton or wherever he had played. And, um, it was like having a Canadian, um, you know, on a, my football team in Miami. It was, and it wasn't even for a full season. I just really, and I just saw him in the news as a potential like NFL hire. Like, why hasn't the NFL maybe looked to Canada, uh, for some of these coaches? And I saw his name yesterday, you know, somewhere on uh, Twitter or something like that. So I want to bring up him. Okay, uh, let me let me fill in some gaps there on yes. Dave Dickinson. Um, so he did go to Montana, played for the Calgary Stampeders, and in his final year as a Stampeder, he was unbelievable. He threw thirty six touchdowns, six picks, ran for three hundred yards too, and that's not the year he, he signed with Miami. He signed with San Diego. But hold he, on a second, g- g- give me his height and weight. Uh, he is five foot eleven and one hundred and ninety pounds. So I want to give everyone a visual there. Five eleven, one ninety five. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So, so kickers are like, yeah, hey, you're a little small, right? Um, so he's kind of a, a slightly taller Doug Flutie. Had unbelievable numbers. Actually fits our played for four team stipulation. And so he was inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, by the way. So I think that this might also say that he qualifies as having shining moments. They just didn't happen in the NFL. They happened in a different professional league. Uh, So I think he can be our journeyman quarterback. I had never heard of him before, which is hard to find a quarterback, a backup quarterback or journeyman quarterback that I hadn't heard of. So I believe what happened, I believe he was like in San Diego, maybe with North Turner like the year before or something like that. And then we signed him the next year, possibly. You are uh, uh, correct. He was with Seattle a little bit and then came to Miami. So he knew our offense. 
Um, and so he knew how, the, you know, the, that's why we sort of signed him. Sometimes, you know, midseason, you got to sign a guy who knows your offense and he had been around Norv or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's Dave Dickinson. That's and he, he, a black leather jacket as a good Canadian should be wearing in Miami when we go on the road to New England. And so as a, a black... coach, by the way, he lost the 104th Grey Cup, lost the 105th Grey Cup, and then was the Grey Cup winner this year. Well, there you go. Congratulations, yeah, so he's Dave a Dickinson. Heck of a coach. So maybe the NFL should be looking to Canada for a guy who does have some roots in the National Football League. As you know, and there's going to be what six coaching, you know, fires and hires or eight or whatever will be this off season. So other quarterbacks they play with, obviously AJ Feely, uh, Brian Greasy, Jay Feeler was the starter. Yep. Uh, I play with Gus Farrat, Cleo Lemon. Um, Oof. Real Lemon is is like on the cusp of journeyman quarterback. By the way, your guy Dickinson has a second stint. He had a second stint with the Rough Riders at the end of his well, career. Of course he has. So there of you go. I, he fits. Um, he fits. He 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 makes it. Let me see Cleo Lemon. He never did. Cleo, Cleo Lemon, Lemon have a shining moment. I think that's what he's missing. Uh, probably Ray Lucas. Oh, Ray, Ray Lucas. Lucas. Yeah, had Ray some Lucas. moments, and he and he actually started off his career as a special teams guy for the Patriots, and played in Super Bowl with Drew, with Drew Bledsoe and the Packers uh, as like a third quarterback special teams guy. Um, and then you have uh, I can't think of his name. He played quarterback at Arkansas, played for the Cowboys for a couple of years, and I cannot think of his name. He was there for a little bit. Um, who else was in like a training camp for the? Uh, I should have written this down before the podcast for the Dolphins back in the day. Uh, you know, by the way, I'm I'm looking at Cleo Lemon. He qualifies. He's got second stint with the Ravens. Also had a game in which he came in on Monday Night Football against the Jets, where he led a comeback. It it fell just short, but it was good enough to be. Uh, he had like 110 quarterback Cleo rating. Lemon good enough. The pass. Cleo Lemon through the pass. Um, to can't think of the guys in the wide receiver's name. I think he played at Stanford when the Dolphins were going to go like 0-16. Oh, and okay. And he threw like the short post pass or the slant pass that the guy took to the house like an overtime that so the Dolphins weren't going to go 0-16 um, with, uh, shoot, I'm having a blank on that coach's name. Who was the coach of Dolphins that drafted Ted Ginn uh, that year and everyone wanted Brady Quinn? Okay, so that would have been Cam Cameron. Cam Cameron. Yes. Yes, I think the Cam Cameron year, he – uh, he helped me, you know, make it not not be a a no win sixteen. He season. did. You are correct on that. There you go, man. Okay, that's a it's a great history. That's a great. The neat, nice thing about, by the way, being a, a Dolphins quarterback when you so you're living in South Florida, you see Dan Marino around a lot. You see Bob Greasy around a lot, uh, or sometimes you know you see some of these old quarterbacks. Uh, that played for the Dolphins, they might still live there. You know, it's like a retirement village for quarterbacks. <laughs> so it's like, well, I played here, I might as well, you know, bought a house, I might as well stay here. The weather's good. And uh, you're around a lot of ex-quarterbacks when you're living there and when you're living in Southern California. This uh, speaks to our eventual idea to have the journeyman quarterback golf tournament that uh, we could just yes. ship them all up from Florida like the Vikings did with the boat situation. They shipped not journeyman quarterbacks, let's, but let's something not, else. Let's not combine, let's not combine the two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Sage, uh, awesome stuff as always. And I was pumping you up on Twitter, but the analysis of the offseason all season long has been uh, awesome from your end. So I look forward to continuing to break that down as we go forward. And we will talk to you all again soon here on the Purple Podcast. 
This view was worth a hike. Right? And it's a good way to stay on top of my health. Yes. I'm Cologuard, a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk. Have you screened for colon cancer? Not yet. Don't wait. It's more treatable when caught in early stages. Tell me more. Cologuard is non-invasive and it's used at home. It detects altered DNA in your stool to find 92% of colon cancers. 92%? Yep, even those in early stages. This was seen in a clinical study with patients 50 and older. Any positive result should be followed by a diagnostic colonoscopy. False positive and negative results may occur. Cologuard is not a replacement for colonoscopy in high-risk patients. Do not use if you have had adenomas, have inflammatory bowel disease and certain hereditary syndromes, or a personal or family history of colon cancer. Most insured patients pay $0. Ask your provider or an online prescriber if Cologuard is right for you, or visit Cologuard.com. I'm in. 